want to speak to you this morning. I'm just going to jump right in for the sake of time. Could you turn in your Bibles, please, to 1 Kings chapter 17? And um, obviously, welcome to all of those who are watching online. I often like to preach or teach in series, and, um, but every once in a while, the Lord puts something in my heart, and it's just a once-off. And I want to speak to us this morning about when God makes men. And when I say men, ladies, I'm talking about you too. Just don't be of the culture of the world. Don't be easily offended. You'll be fine. I mean mankind. But when God makes men, and I'm not talking about creation or when a baby is born. I'm talking about the forming of a man or woman or a person of God. And I don't claim to be that person. I am with you in my journey with the Lord. All of us are together in that. But there is something that this continually grabs my heart over the years. Um, what's possible to a person or for the Lord to do on the earth with a surrendered heart, truly surrendered. And uh, we forget the ways of God over time, but let me stick to, stick to this. Firstly, I'm going to take you quickly through a little bit of history with Israel, um, just with the kingdom of Israel. Israel was probably around 920 or 900, depends where you read, they all have different opinions, um, that the, the kingdom of Israel, or the nation of Israel, like split in half, not physically, but there was a divided nation after Solomon died. Uh, his son, Rehoboam, Rehoboam they, he didn't listen to some of the advisors that he had, in a sense, inherited from his father, and he had appointed a whole bunch of young men who would just kind of do whatever he told, whatever he told them to do. And they said ears, uh, words that were nice in his ears, and it wasn't wisdom. And so that ended up fracturing the nation, and the nation was divided, and it split in half. And the northern, the northern part of the nation kept its name like Israel, but the southern part was called Judah, and those two parts divided. And you had Israel and Judah. It was formerly Israel. After that, it was Israel, so it's confusing. But you had Israel and Judah. And Jeroboam led the northern kingdom of Israel, and the capital of that became Samaria, and Rehoboam started Rehoboam. Um, he was the king of Judah, which was made up of two tribes, Judah and Benjamites. So it was through this process, and not long after that, just a couple of kings, but some of them were kings for a very short time, it was through this process that uh, Ahab, one of the most wicked kings in the biblical history, uh, took the throne of the northern kingdom of Israel, but not all of Israel, that half of Israel. And for political reasons, he decided to, you know, to, to link kingdoms with the Phoenicians, and he married who was at the time a Phoenician princess. The Phoenicians were, had a mighty navy, mighty in ships, as if you know history. And uh, so he linked politically and married the princess of Phoenicia at the time, and that was Jezebel. And many people know the name of Jezebel. And she's unfortunately become very, very well known. But Jezebel's name means lacking honor. She had no understanding of spiritual authority. She, it means lacking honor. And she was raised in Sidon. Sidon was a, a town or an area or city, a big area. And that city or that area, Sidon, was ruled by Jezebel's father. And Jezebel's father was the high priest. The high priest and the king of Sidon. And he was a high priest in the temple of Baal. I may say Baal because I grew up saying Baal, but since I've been educated by the Americans on how to speak English, <laughs> so I may go back and forth. It's just, but you're gracious, so that's okay. But king, his name was Ethbaal or Ethbaal, and that means one who lives with Baal. And Baal's the root word of that name means to marry. So literally, this king Ahab connects through marriage these two kingdoms, and he marries a Phoenician princess. She was a priestess in the temple of Baal, doing some horrendous things that we can't go into this, this morning. And so he marries her, and she rules through him. He was a weak man, and she rules through him, and she has no honor. And uh, so this priestess of Baal and Ahab joined forces. And so what happens is when there's a divided nation, which is what happened, they 
the enemy snuck into this divided nation and started to hit right at the authority structure through this Jezebel and through Ahab. And it's a very interesting story. I encourage you to read it. Baal, if you know anything about, if he's a false god, it's not real, but false god of Baal, he was their god, the Canaanite god of gods. And he ruled over the sky and the earth and, and rain and dew and rivers. And so he was responsible for their crops and their well-being and so forth. And they worshipped him as such. But then Baal was overcome in their false gods. He was overcome sometimes for a season and then eventually I think altogether. I don't know, I don't care because it's not real. But he was overcome by the god of Mot, which was their god of death. And that traces all the way back to Egyptology. And he was overcome by the god of death. So they used to have these festivals, fall festivals. Don't worry, those aren't bad. But they used to have these fall festivals to help Baal and to bring him out of where he was running away from Mot and all this kind of stuff to explain their dry season. And then the rains would return and they would say, Baal has come back and they would have crops and so forth and so on. So that's what was happening through Ahab and through Jezebel. She had 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah, which is something else. A lot of sexual immorality. And they ate at her table in the temple of God's, in the, in the, in the palace of God's king at the time. So, wasn't good. Let's read 1 Kings 16, verse 29. In the 38th year of King Asa, of Asa king of Judah, so he was king of the southern part, the southern kingdom of Israel. Ahab, the son of Omri, became king of Israel. That was the northern part. So if you don't know that, you think he just took over from Asa, because it says Israel, but it's talking about the, two, the divided kingdom. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel and Samaria. That was the capital of the northern kingdom. The capital of the, south, they, of the southern kingdom of Judah, they kept Israel, um, Jerusalem. It says, um, where was I, sorry. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel and Samaria 22 years. Now Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. Now if you read the story, it says that about all the kings up to that point. So that, in other words, they got worse and worse and worse. Okay. And it came to pass, how's this, as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam. Now it says Jeroboam because he was the, the king who started at the fracture, at the divide. And this is what happens in the world. This is what happens even in the spirit. Things that used to be a shock to God's people or a shock to the culture eventually quickly become normal. It was a trivial thing, it says. The things that they couldn't believe that they were doing before, now this was just daily life. And who's seen that? Hollywood, sometimes the devil's prophet, makes it easy. And things that were terrible become normal. So now for something to get worse, it has to be, and it starts as a shock, but in 10 years, it's fine. And so it goes. And this is happening in God's house, in God's nation. In verse 31, And it came to pass as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jer Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he took as a wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the S Sidonians. And he went and served Baal and worshipped him. Then he set up an altar of Baal in the, in the temple of Baal. So he built him a temple. He set altars all along the high places of Israel broke down the high places of God and set up an altar of Baal because his wife told him to. And he set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal which he had built in Samaria. That's the capital of the northern kingdom. And Ahab made a wooden image which was the Asherah pole. And Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. Interesting story. Interesting picture. So what happens, this may sound a little familiar, is we have a divided nation, and the enemy looks for the divided nation. And he slips into the divided nation's authority structure and begins to rule through the authority structure. Isn't that interesting? And that's what happens. And the fear of the Lord is no longer in the land. 
So what does the Bible say God does? Because we think, well, God will do it. It's just sovereign. And we sweep so many things under that mat called the sovereignty of God. Well, what does God do? 2 Corinthians 16. The eyes of the Lord search to and fro throughout the earth to find a man whose heart is fully his so that he can show himself strong on behalf of him. He looks for a man, he looks for a woman whose heart says, God, this is not okay. And he knows that it won't be done through politics, it won't be done through the strength of man's arm. Zechariah the prophet stood up and declared, there's coming a new dispensation. And in this dispensation after the Messiah comes, it will not be by might, which is the strength of man's arm, the strength of man's intellect. It will not be by power, which is military power, but by the power of the Spirit of God, says the Lord of hosts. And so the Lord's eyes search to and fro across the earth to find a man's heart as his, really his, a real holy man. And we don't like that word. Holy means to be set apart. And God begins to form that person or those people or that group or that area. He begins to form them and shape them and fashion them because he raises up instruments all through the Bible. God looks for people. He looks for people to bring change. So, let's go through when God makes men. 17, 1 Kings 17, go to verse 1, says this. In Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand. Here's a man who stood before God. We don't see his history, but he knew Yahweh. He knew Jehovah. He knew the God of heaven and the earth and the sky. And so he goes uninvited and stands before a man who's a king because he is not afraid of that man and standing before an earthly king because he stood before the king. You had to be invited. He was not invited. And he goes and just begins to proclaim. And he says, As the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. And then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook Cherith, which we'll read in a moment. But what did Elijah say? He says, The Lord God whom I stand before. Then God says to him, as we just read, get away from here. You're standing in the wrong place, Elijah. Move. Get away from here and go hide thyself. Hide thyself by this brook and we'll go into that. Then at the end of the story in 1 Kings 18, the, Lord, the word of the Lord comes back to Elijah and he says, Elijah, show thyself. And this message is something that I heard many years ago from Leonard Ravenhill Hide thyself, show thyself. And I listened to it so many times, I can't even remember parts that, whether he said it or I said it, but it gripped my heart. It gripped my heart as a young man. Go hide yourself, and then, (laughs) sorry. Then go show yourself. And there's a process in between there and there. And we're gonna look at that, and he forms you, and he makes you in that process where you can go stand and bring change. And he makes you, and he forms you, and he changes things. So, hide thyself. Elijah makes a declaration. As the Lord God of Israel lives, who are they worshiping? Baal. Who was Baal overcome by? Mot, the God of death. Elijah stands up and in one sentence, he directly challenges the entire kingdom of Israel through the king. He says, your God of death is not real. My God lives. And then he says, he challenges Baal. He says, before whom I stand, there shall be no more dew, no more rain. Baal, who they worship for that. He stands up and says, it's not Baal, it's not Mot, it's the God of Israel. And I stand before him. And who are you, king? <laughs> That's what he did. Challenged the entire structure in one sentence. Uninvited. Hide thyself. So let's read. And the word of the Lord 
came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, and turn eastward, and hide thyself. Friends, I, and I don't mean to be emotional, but this is just a very real thing for my heart. It's one of the greatest sentences we can read. The word of the Lord came to him. The word of the Lord came to him. It's the greatest experience. It's the greatest thing that can happen this side of heaven is when the word of the Lord comes into a human heart. And it's from the Lord. Yes, it may come through scripture. But I look at Hebrews 11. Friend, I look at Hebrews 11. Go read it. They subdued kingdoms. They shut the mouths of lions. This is the hall of fame of the heroes of faith. It says they made foreign armies flee. It says they obtained promises. They obtained righteousness. They brought righteousness. They administered justice. All these things, these great heroes of the hall of faith did. Not one of them had a Bible. Not one. Not one. They shook whole kingdoms without this. Whole kingdoms bowed before God's instruments. They didn't even have 66 books on the Lamb. And we do. But they had the word of the Lord. They knew how to go and find the word of the Lord. To go and hide yourself away in God. As Colossians says, I'm hidden with God in Christ. They did it before a Bible. <laughs> Sorry. And the Holy Spirit's never changed. <laughs> never changed. Now we know this is God's word, but I'll say something and you may be shocked by it. God is not sitting up in heaven fretting waiting for emails to come from seminaries to tell him whether they've decided this word is fallible or not. He's not worried. He's not concerned. Because he's been speaking before this was written. He's been speaking and speaking and speaking. Isaiah overheard. He wasn't asked. He was close to the Lord. He overheard. Whom shall we send? Who's They're talking to each other. Whom shall go for us? Whom shall we send? Isaiah says, hey, I go, I, me. The word of the Lord, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. And once the word of the Lord, whether it comes through scripture and it's illumined and it's awakened in your heart, or that it comes straight from the Lord, obviously it won't go against us, we know this. Once the Lord comes into your heart, you have something and every time he speaks, it will never pass away. And the word of the Lord came to a man. And we need those men and women again that know how to get the word of the Lord. The real word of the Lord. People say so quickly, the Lord told me this, the Lord told me this. That really know how to get the word of God. There's a cry that needs to come. What does he say? Go hide thyself in a lonely place. Go hide thyself. We don't like that. <laughs> we don't. Go be by yourself, Elijah. Go be by yourself, Clayton. Go be by yourself. And we don't like that. Get alone. Find me alone. And I don't know why. It's difficult. We face ourselves. First person you face is yourself. That's just real. But we can't face the issues of the world today, church, the way we're doing it now. We can't. And I'm not rebuking a single person. I'm putting myself with you. The church is, somebody said the most tragic thing is a sick church in a dying world. It's a tragic thing. And we can't bring change the way we're doing it to keep doing the same things and expecting suddenly different result. We need to remember what it is to go and hide thyself like the men and the preachers of old. And begin to declare the word of the Lord in the nation. The Holy Spirit doesn't come any other way. And I mean this with love in my heart. I do. It's not, I'm not rebuking a single person. But I really, I struggle. You can ask my wife. You can ask Tommy who works with me. I struggle and I wrestle. 
because I know the devil's not afraid by so many of the things that God's people are doing. We sit in church in committees and we sit around tables and, well, this does it like this and we do it like this and how are you going to do this and let's plan this. I don't think the devil gets up every day and says, oh no, they're having another committee meeting. Oh no. Where's the word of the Lord? The anointing of God upon a person to shake a kingdom. So, <laughs> let's look into this. Sure. Oh, Lord. Okay. Sorry. He says, get away from here. Move, Elijah. Get away. Jesus said to the disciples, come away with me. It says in the Song of Solomon, come away with me. Come away from this mess. Come here. He says, get away with me. Get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. Now just some, we look in the Old Testament, we look at it with New Testament lenses. I was going to go through all the words, we don't have time, but you go through what some of those words mean and it matters. It really does matter. The word Cherith is actually where we get the word to cut covenant. The word brook actually means outpouring, means a torrent in Hebrew. There was a brook that could come from a spring, but this wasn't that. It was a torrent of water that would come because of the rain and the dew on top of the mountain. The word which flows into the Jordan, that's actually the Hebrew word for the presence of God. The name, the face of God, the presence of God. And Jordan means descender. So it's like the Lord says, listen, Elijah, I need you to come hide yourself. Hide yourself away in me. And there in the secret place where it's you and it's me, I will descend upon you there. I will pour out upon you there. I will speak to you there. I will feed you there. I will put my presence on you there. You will learn my voice there. But you have to get away from where you are. How does it start practically? What do we do practically? Well, let's go read up to verse 7. It says here, verse 4, And it shall be that you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. And so he went and did according to the word of the Lord. Very important. He actually did it. For he went and stayed by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land, because that's what he said would happen. There are some lessons we learn at the brook that I'm going to go over as fast as I can. Number one, routine. He says, get away from where you are. You're standing in the wrong place, Elijah, move. And he says, morning and evening. So some people, like me, if you're intense or extreme, I don't, I used to try not be intense. I just don't care anymore. But, you know, I used to take three days a year, sometimes five days a year. It was, it's a little harder once we had kids. But I got away from it, and I, you can feel it. And I would just go and do that. Take a week off and just go and do that. There was a young man in South Africa. I never met him. He was alive in Tozer's day. A young man, black man by the name of, of Duma. And living in Durban. And no one would... You know, he got saved, and God started to speak to this man, and he wanted to preach. And they said no, so he went and found a cave and hid away in that cave for 21 days. Fasted and prayed. And he came back in 21 days, and the glory of God was on that man, and he shook that city. But every year at that time, he would kiss his family and his wife goodbye and go back to that cave for 21 days to restore the anointing on his life. It's a forgotten practice. But there's also routine. There's also routine in the morning and in the evening. I'm not saying it has to be morning and evening. Just the lessons you learn at the brook, the lessons in the secret place. Have a time in your day. It starts there. It just starts there. Have a time. Have a set-apart time. That nothing can change. It starts with routine. 
And what was discipline, what starts with discipline will become desire. It will. Starts with the natural will become in the spirit. It will. Second, it says, he dwelt there. God said, go dwell there. That word is abide. We learn at the brook, we learn to abide. The value for God drawing and calling a person aside in today's Western world is extremely low. Why? Because we want everything instant. We know, microwave generation. I want it now. I want it now. If I don't have the money, I can have it now and pay for it for the rest of my life because I want it now. A whole world operates like that. A whole culture operates like that. But it doesn't work like that in the spirit. And the culture of the world has crept so into the church that we actually have forgotten even the ways of God. Happened all through the Old Testament. He said, remember, 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 remember. Remember what I did. What do I mean? The preachers and the the men and the women of God of old, they used to come. I think of Finney, Charles Finney, who started revival. He used to come into a city and was often known he would not give a call for a response to anything until he had preached 28 days, day and night, day and night. People say, well, that's ridiculous. Maybe it's not. Wesley was similar. Very similar. Come in and preach day and night, day and night, for days, for days. Jonathan Edwards, we all know Jonathan Edwards, that famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, which shook a nation. But do we also know that the entire day and night before that, he had a small group of people that prayed with him through that day, through that night, no sleep up until the time of that sermon? Through the night. Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, the power of God was so descend upon this man that the deacons would have to go into the back room of the church and pick him up where he'd be trembling, crying, and have to come and put him in a chair because he couldn't stand and begin to deliver the word of the Lord for days. Forgotten. Happened in this nation. Forgotten. Because it's instant. Paul the Apostle did it. Go look at Acts 18. He says he went into Corinth, stayed there teaching daily for one and a half years. Acts 19, the whole of Tyrannus, every day he taught for two years. But today we, we, we're raising up young preachers, men and women. We're raising up young people to we tell them, listen, you need to go into a church, go into an area, you're going to have one message, you're going to preach for 30 minutes, and in that 30 minutes you must break up the fallow ground of the heart that the enemy's been doing in the people's hearts for years. You must break up the fallow ground. You must throw the precious seed of God's word and collect the harvest in half an hour and go home. It doesn't work like that. And if you preach for too long, they're not going to like you. So make sure this and make sure this. What are we doing? Forgotten ways of God. By men and women that shook kingdoms. They didn't even have this, some of them. But they knew him. The value for what it means to go hide yourself in God. Also because we've had disappointments. Because we go do that with a list of things that we want from him instead of going to do that so that he can have us. That he can get hold of me and that he can change me. Not so I can get something from him. You know, the fear of the Lord, friends. People say the fear of the Lord, and I'm not angry, I hope you can tell I'm not. He's forgotten. People say, well, the fear of the Lord is the awe of God. And it is. He, it is. But there, is, there are moments and places where God reveals and God speaks to you in such a way that you become terrified. And you know his bigness. I've experienced it. It's one of the things that broke me out of legalism and broke me out of trying to earn and prove an insecurity and being like the second prodigal son was the fear of the Lord. While I was preaching grace, preaching the grace of God, the grace of God and the love of God, which is true, 
I was praying one day and the fear of the, something came into that room and I fell down and the fear of God got hold of me. <laughs> and what he said in my heart was not nice, <laughs> but it set me free. He said, I, you know, I'm Yahweh. I made you. I formed you. I put consciousness in you. I gave you your breath. I gave you your mind. I put a call on you. Who are you? Who are you? Oh man, who are you? And I understood why Luther said when he used to come into the presence of God, he used to feel like a worm. Who are you? But I love you. And I've called you. And I've put my spirit on you. I believe in you. But don't ever forget who it is. You get up from there and you realize that striving and proving and is just pride. And you change. Thirdly, at the brook, we learn the lesson that it's seasonal. It's not that like that all the time. It comes and goes in seasons. That's what it says. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. And people panic here. I know, because I've done it many times. It's like we, things are, and then all of a sudden our prayers become like brass. It's like nothing's happening, nothing's working. We, our ears feel stopped up, and it's like we're going through things, and we're like, oh, something's changed. And God, we always think, what have I done wrong? What, what's going on? And it's not that. He's just saying, I want you to go here now. And that's exactly what happens. He changes the season on us. And he says, okay, that's great. That was great. Now I've taught you something. I've revealed something to you. I've put something of me inside of you. Now come over here, Elijah. Boom. Like the man at the Gadarenes, the man who cast the demons out of, the demon-possessed man. He asked Jesus, please, can I go with you? He said, no, go back to Decapolis. I've done something to you, so go over there. And when Jesus went back there, the whole town got saved because that man had been there speaking. So the word of the Lord comes to Elijah. Go hide thyself. Hide thyself. And there's lessons he learns in doing that, in finding that place in your heart. Then the word of the Lord comes again. Go show thyself. But in between those two, it says this. (laughs) It's wonderful. Verse 8, then the word of the Lord came to him again, saying, Arise, verse 8, and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon. What was Sidon? King Ethbal's kingdom, where Jezebel was raised, where the priest of Baal was. I've called you, Elijah, to take down this kingdom, to take down Jezebel's influence, to, to, to bring my people back to me. But in order for you to defeat her, I'm going to take you and put you in the stronghold of where she was raised. He says, arise and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Same word as by the brook. Dwell there. Abide there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he rose. Look at that. He did it. He arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink it. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. You know what that word Zarephath means? Refinery. God says, hide thyself. Hide yourself in me. Learn that. I will show you myself. Later on, he says, so show yourself. In the middle, he says, refine yourself. How does he do that? At your place of work. In your home. With your friends. He uses the world sometimes to refine you. Let's go look. It says, which belongs to Sidon. Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon. The word Sidon means to hunt. Phoenician, of Phoenician city, they were known for their navy. Like I said, this was a fishery, a, fishery, a tannery, a very you know, coastal-centered area, and it means to hunt, as in to fish. Jesus said, go make fishers of men. The culture will hunt you down to make you their disciple. It's the same thing. Lessons in the refinery. Number one, when God makes men, overcoming 
the world. Go to, Z go to Zidon and d dwell there. Go into the world. They will hunt you in such a way to make you their disciple. The spirit behind will come after you. You've been with me, Elijah. You've been with me, whoever you are, when no one was around. And that's beautiful and that's wonderful, but I need you to take what I showed you there, take what I did in you there, take the conviction I put on you there, and I'll go live over here. And can you lean on what I showed you there, here? And lean on that, and make decisions on that, and be mocked by that, and look so different to everyone, not in arrogance, not in I know better than you know. Go lean on that. Go do it over here and side on. Because God will take us to a place where we learn to live around what is taking possession of everyone's heart and see if it possesses yours. Because we can't be an answer for what is destroying the world if we're just like them. It's not I'm trying to prove, I'm not trying to earn. It was given. But where are the holy men and women of God that won't be so gripped by things that grip everybody else? And they're not better. The Bible says they're the scum of the earth. Apostles, prophets, and those guys. But he will use the unwise and the unscholared. This is a patriarchal type of faith. It's not the faith, because it is faith. Something that you saw in the unseen. Something that God did in your heart. And now you're living out over here. That's the faith of the patriarchs. It's not faith for a healing or a miracle. No. It's the faith to lean on what he told you. That's Abrahamic faith. That's Isaac's faith. I think different. I see different. This is, I believe, what 1 John 5 is about. For the love of God, because you've learned him there. You've learned his love. Oh, you know him. That we keep, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. What is born in your heart by the brook in the secret place overcomes where I'm sending you next. Whatever is born here, not here, not in him or in her or at some conference or here inside you, it will overcome the world. And this is the victory. What does it call it? This is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. That type of faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? He who believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Next lesson. Breaking boxes that limit us. Important lessons in the refining process when God makes men that can bring change. What does it say? I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. If you don't go there, you won't be fed. Whatever that is, that space, that secret place, that time, I will feed you there. I've commanded a widow to feed you there. What's the point? This is a Jewish man. His world is Jewish world. A Gentile, a, a raven is an unclean bird, according to the law of Moses. A Gentile was an unclean person, and she was a woman in their law. He couldn't have any interaction with her. Nevertheless, stay alone with her in the home, goodness sake. God says, I will take an unclean animal, I will take an unclean person in your eyes, and I need to shatter the boxes that you've put on me, Elijah. Break out. I'm more than your Jewish world. I knew Abraham before there was any Jews. I walked with Noah. I walked with Enoch, the Bible says. I walked with men. I spoke with men. I knew them and they knew me. Break out of your box. Elijah, to take over what you need to do, to do what you need to do, you have to see me outside of your neat church world. Your Baptist world. Your Pentecostal world. Your charismatic world. No. The great God, Jehovah. The Alpha and the Omega. Do you know him? And his voice and his spirit. We have to break the boxes. 
sitting around in committees arguing about different theologies that just bound us, that don't work. He can take those limits off you today. That's what I'm praying for. Let's keep reading. Verse 11, And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So she said, As the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin, and a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, and my son that we may eat it and die. You know, the Lord sometimes takes you to a place you're like, here? Here? Like, they're going to kill, like, here? This is not what I, this is not fun at all. They want to kill themselves. You bring me here? Hello? I've had that. You pray, you f- feel like you, this mighty man of God in the mountain, and you go, and there's three people that are under 19 in a room. And God says, go do there. And you're like, here? You, all of that for them? Uh-huh. So she said, <clears throat> sorry, verse 13. And Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you have said. But make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me. And afterwards, make some for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel. The bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went and did, according to the word of Elijah, and she and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, and nor did the oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. Listen to that, prophetic people. The word of the Lord. The Lord spoke by a person. Oh, the purity of the prophetic. The Lord said this, the Lord said this. Next lesson in the refinery. Partnering with God. At the brook, in the secret place, it arrives, the bread was finished. It's a finished product. Here it is, boom. It's just easy. There's no one else there. There's no challenge there. It's you and the Lord. You face yourself and it's difficult. And if you're smart, you humble yourself fast. And you're honest fast. And you repent fast. You get over things, and it's just you and the Lord, and it's wonderful. And, but the, everything arrives done for you. Here's the bread, here's the meat. Well done, love you, let's go. And you learn stuff there. You learn routine. You learn things. Now you come here into the, into the refining fire of the Lord, and it, he gives you the raw ingredients. Because now you have to mine for truth. Why? Friends, we've all seen it. A person gets saved, radical saved. You all know people, they're excited, tell the whole world about Jesus, and and, and they need something. Something's going wrong in their life, so they say, Lord, I need money for this. Next day, boom. And they're like, yep, me, Billy Graham, we're the same, we're amazing. The next week, they pray for something. Lord, save my friend. Boom, saved. And you're like, whoa. It's just fast, quick. And then he starts to grow them up. And then he starts to grow them up. Because when you adopt an orphan into your house, you can't discipline straight away. First, they have to know you love them. Now, there's, you get introduced into a battle. But now, that dries up. That's what happened. The brook dried up. That's seasonal. It dries up after time. Not the presence in there. You know what I mean? Just that... And it feels like people say, oh, I don't know, something's wrong. But here he gives you the raw ingredients. And he learned to mine for truth and find the Lord on your knees. And you take the word, the flour and the oil, the spirit, and you put him together. And the anointing of God comes upon a person. And that never runs out. As much as you want. You have to work because the anointing of the Lord takes work. But it never goes away. Never runs dry. There are people in this room that know what I speak of. But as time goes on, friends, I've been there so many times. We're like Samson. 
Samson was known by Israel. Destroyed a thousand people at once. Picked up the gates of an ancient city. Think about how big that is. Carried it up a mountain, stuck it on the ground. Did amazing exploits. The enemy was terrified of him. The anointing of God on the one. Then he was bound. The culture got to him. Things got to him. And he ends up bound by the very things that bind them. And they pulled out his eyes. He can no longer see. And some of you know what I mean. You start in the power and the energy and the life of God. Then you get tired. And things happen. And things start to influence us that never did before. And things start to come into our sphere of influence that couldn't even have access before. And we get, we feel like we bound up. And our eyes, it's like I can't see anymore. But you know in your heart that place of the anointing of the Lord. And inside, if you are honest, you say, God, help me. Help me find that place. Because you know what it's like. You remember. And that's what Samson said, one more time, Lord. One more time. And the anointing begins to return back into your life as you go back to the brook and do the things you did at first. The church started in power. Israel started in power, signs and wonders, shoes and clothes not wearing out, fire, cereal and food falling from heaven. I mean, power ended blind and gagged. Over and over, same pattern. So we need to find him again. Two more. 1 Kings 17. Can we read again? You guys still with me? You alive? 17. Now it happened after these things that the son of the woman who owned the house became sick. And his sickness was so serious that there was no breath left in him. The Bible has some amazingly polite ways to say someone died. He fell asleep, you know. There was no breath left in him. So she said to Elijah, what have I to do with you, a man of God? Have you come to bring my sin to remembrance and kill my son? She said that because she was a Gentile. And he said to her, give me your son. So he took him up out of her arms and carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his own bed. Then he cried out to the Lord on his bed. So he cried out to the Lord and said, O Lord, my God, have you also brought tragedy on the widow with whom I lodged by killing her son? And he stretched himself out on the child three times and cried out to the Lord and said, O Lord, my God, I pray let this child's soul come back to him. Then the Lord heard in the voice of Elijah and the soul of the child came back to him and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper room into the house and gave him to his mother. And Elijah said, see, your son lives. Then, Elijah, then the woman said to Elijah, now by this I know that you are a man of God and the word of the Lord in your mouth is the truth. The word of the Lord in your mouth is the truth. Next lesson we learn in the refinery is just two more. The fight of faith. The fight of faith. It's a good fight, Timothy says. What Paul said to Timothy. Fight the good fight of faith. It's the fight of faith. Because you, he's shown you something. You've seen something and you're changed. And you come here and now you start fielding accusations against you, against God. You get accused of things. Oh, different story. And you see Elijah's response. First time it was, don't be afraid. It won't get to run out. Oil, don't worry about it. Now he's out of his depth. Doesn't know what to do. Oh, we've been there. I'm sure you've been there. Something happens. It's above his pay grade. So he says, give me your situation. Because I'll take that to the brook. Because I know God there. Takes it to the secret place. Have you ever taken a situation to the secret place? See how the routine and the things that you developed there, all of a sudden, st- they matter now? And you, you can't develop that in crisis. It's too late. You develop it. 
now you take this situation, this son, this boy, and you say, Lord, and he didn't know. Before it was the oil won't run dry, flowers good, you're good. Now it's, he has to ask, he doesn't know. Lord, have you done this? What do I do, God? Help me, Lord. The fight of faith. It's a fight. Learning God, when we are hidden away with him, it's beautiful. But learning to trust him and still believe him when we are surrounded by contradictions of what he told us. Oh, that's different. Worship is born in that place. Because my worship is no longer what he's done for me. My worship is God. You are God above all the heavens and the earth. Jehovah, Yahweh, Adonai. You are God. That's different. It's born there. Lastly, the lesson we learn in the refinery. When God makes men to deal and to reveal him again to the world. Overcoming the enemy. And by that I mean the spirit behind the problem. You see, he started with, my God lives, no dew nor rain. Challenge Mott, challenge Baal. He's kind of already defeated Baal. Why? Well, he had flour and oil that never ran out. He's like, I don't even need your Baal to come and do all the stuff. God just keeps, you don't even need that. He's overcome Baal in his heart. But Mott, death, oh boy. He's not dealt with this before. He's dealing with something different. (laughs) So he cries out to God and says, the Lord heard and then the Lord said. But he learned something extremely important. Something extremely important. Spiritual grit. Spiritual tenacity. Sometimes more important than spiritual principles. We take a principle, someone says, that's a spiritual principle. Okay, we run here, we do it. Didn't work. Must have been wrong. I tried it. Grit. It wasn't just lay down three times on the boy. Up, down, up, down, up, down. Okay, it didn't work. Lay down. Poured his heart out to God. Nothing happened. Did it again. Nothing happened. Did it again. Grit. Tenacity. I don't understand. What he learned there in the secret place helped him here. What he learned here helped him when the Lord says, go show yourself to Ahab. And he says to Ahab, there's a sound of rain. Then what happens? He says to the servant, can you see a cloud? Servant's like, no. So what does he do? He says he puts his head between his knees and he cries out to God. See it now? No. He does it again because he learned something here. Do you see it now? No. Does it again? You see it now? No. And God said it. God said it. This will happen. Then why does he have to pray? Seven times. Seven times. Spiritual grit. There are things in this world, and it's not a list. These are the things in the world. It's different for everyone. There are things in this world, living in the world and not of it, that will require you. If you're saying, God, form me for your glory. To get with him at times, you and him, not a conference, not a principal, not a teacher, not an instructor, you and Jehovah. And find him there. And know his voice there. And it will take grit. And then the anointing of the Lord upon a person. Just on one. Just on one. Genuine anointing. It's been so long since this nation has seen it. The real thing. Shook kingdoms. Because it's the Spirit of God upon a man or a woman. We need it again, friends. We need it again. I'm there with you. But I preach this. It's what the Lord put in my heart. Because there may be some here. 
Say, God, you can have my life. You can have it. You can have my money, my wealth, my family. You can have it all. It's yours anyway. And learn who he is. 1 Kings 18, it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year. Three years of that. He said, go show thyself. Hide yourself and I will send you ravens in private. Refine yourself and I will feed you in process. But it's just enough, just every day, a little bit flowering, just enough for that day. Show yourself, for now I will send rain on the earth in public. The anointing of the Lord that shakes the nation. <laughs> Help us, Lord. I just pray your heart was stirred today. It's never about a person, but about his plans on the earth. Josh, can you come here real quick? Just come stand here. You can face me. You don't have to face. I was in here for a number of hours last night praying. I just have to be faithful what the Lord told me. And I went, I felt the Lord lead me to that chair. And I sat on that chair and I said, Lord, whoever sits here tomorrow, I ask you to take a hold of their life. And it ends up being you. I prayed there for a long time. Can you just come here? I just want to lay hands on you. Can we, can we just stand real quick? I don't want to fall off. Come here. Father, I know this is for all of us. This is what you showed me. And Lord, there's no pressure on him. He can become, in a sense, whoever you've called him to be. But I pray you grab his heart. Make him an alien and a stranger on the earth because he'll know his God in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. Can we just pray together? I just, thanks for, I know we went over time, but just God put this on my heart and I pray for those of you who were moved. If you feel like a Samson, when I'm speaking about Samson, you're like, God, I remember that place. I remember that place. If that's you, I'm going to ask you to come up quickly. Whoever you are, you know that place. I remember that place, God, and I miss it. If that's you, yes, in front of everyone, I'm going to ask you to humble yourself. No one needs to know why. It could have been for things that have nothing to do with you. Just come up real quick and stand over here, real quick. That place of, God, I remember that in you. I remember, but I, it's not the same as it used to be. I prayed for you. I prayed for you. Look at that. Look at that. This is why I hate the devil. Because <laughs> he runs around telling his people it's their fault. We are all flesh and blood. I want to stand there with you, to be honest. Can we raise our hands to these people? Keep coming if you can. Look at this. Come here. Where's Tracy? Tracy, can you come play the piano? If you want to leave, please feel free to leave. I understand the time. I'm going to ask you all in front of you, just open your hearts to the Lord. Open your hands if you can. You don't have to. Close your eyes and just begin to speak to him. Just begin to. It's not about saying sorry. It's, not, it's just God, show me again. Remind me. Remind me. I miss you, Lord. I miss you. I miss your presence. Help me, Lord. Come here. Father, just pray. Pray for these people. Lord, let your anointing rest again. Let it rest. Father, we ask that the anointing of your spirit would rest again on these people. Lord, for it never runs dry. Never runs dry. Grab our hearts afresh. No legalism, 
no striving, no condemnation, but life. We pray the blood of Jesus to protect these precious children of yours and their families. We ask, anoint them, Lord. Let them know you again. We ask for this nation, Lord. We ask, God, that people, it is your plan, your heart searches to and fro for people. Raise up, and we include ourselves, a genuine, genuine instrument of God to shake the lies and the things that are coming from a divided nation. We ask you, let your church shine again, God. And let the devil remember who you are. Who you are. Jehovah Adonai El Shaddai, God Almighty. Do it again, Lord. We love you. We bless you. We bless you. We bless you. sing, could you, hold on one second, sorry. Can we just sing a song, As a Deer Pants? Just out loud. As a deer for the water so my soul As a deer, as the deer panted for the water, so my soul is after you. You my heart, presence, Lord. I pray for this church and the people here. May the blood of Jesus be their guard, their protection, their power. May we become hidden with you in that place. We bless you, Lord. We bless you. Amen. Amen. Bless you all. Thank you for your time. I know we went over. Tommy. Good morning, Free Life Church. We are glad you've joined us today. We would love to connect with you. Connection cards are a great way to let us know if you're new to us, any needs or comments you may have, or how we can simply connect with you. To submit a card, scan the QR code on the back of the seat or visit the Connect page on our website. If you are a first-time visitor, Please stop by the Connection Corner in the lobby to receive your welcome bag. 
We look forward to meeting you. March 12th through 19th, we will be engaging in a week of corporate fasting and prayer. We encourage you to fast during the week as you feel led, breaking the fast on Saturday. Prayer and praise nights will be held Monday through Friday from 7 to 8 p.m. and are open to all. A list of resources on fasting is available on our events page. Join us as we unite to set aside this special time with the Lord. Come join us for our next Encounter Night on March 12th. Encounter Night is an amazing time of worship, prayer, and prophecy. This month's Encounter Night will kick off our seven-day fast. We hope you'll join us for this special evening. We are excited to introduce a new way to build relationships within the Free Life family, Dinner for Eight. Groups of eight adults will be formed to take turns hosting dinner for the group over several months. Groups can be singles, couples, or families. Sign up will be open now through March 20th, and you can check out all the details on our registration page. Bon appetit! Here at Free Life, we believe in kingdom giving and we invite you to give toward the work God is doing through us. The easiest way to give is by scanning the QR code here with your mobile device. Checks or cash may be dropped in the connect box at the back of the sanctuary. Thank you for your partnership with us. Stay informed of upcoming events, holiday schedules, and weather closures by signing up for text updates and our newsletter. Simply text Free Life to 41400 to sign up. Remember, to learn about all of our upcoming events, please see the events page on our website. Thanks for joining us today.